0: The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. <music>
1: Hello, and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And uh, for the second time around, our extra special guest, Paul Mitchell, who's
2: going to explain to us the mysteries of redistricting. Uh, Well, we're just going to try to look towards the future a little bit. Take it away, (laughs) Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, first off, it it feels as though these districts that we have now are just kind of getting used to, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, People are talking about the ISIS seed and, you know... uh, the, the Barris seat up here and these other seats that are competitive each election cycle. But what really people are starting to talk about as they look around the corner to after 2020 is a new set of lines that will be done by the state's redistricting commission mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of looking at what we might already know about that process. So for starts, we're going to have a redistricting commission again the same time we had last time. But that doesn't mean we're going to have the same kind of culture around redistricting that we had last time. Uh, The culture of the last redistricting commission was was very anti-establishment, anti-legislature. The lines that had been drawn previously were like seen as the enemy. Mm -hmm. They were drawn for political purpose, they were drawn for deal-making, they were drawn to protect incumbents, and the commission wanted nothing to do with them. And so one key difference that people are looking at right now is that the next redistricting commission is actually going to be almost the exact opposite. They're going to probably be very different. These are their own lines, basically. These, this is a commission lines. Yeah. The, the existing commissioners that are still redistricting commissioners, people... These are still people who were involved
0: last time. Yeah,
2: they're still involved. They still have meetings. So um, those redistricting commissioners are going to be the ones training the next set of commissioners. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the ones that are going to be looked to for guidance. And the lines that they drew, instead of, you know, coming to a redistricting commission and saying, hey, here's this 23rd congressional district and why it's drawn this way, which you couldn't have done in the 2011 process, in 2021, the commission's probably going to be looking very deferentially mm. towards the last set of lines. So that's a big difference.
1: Is, are these, uh, the redistricting commission uh, coming up with these new district maps, Are these a good, at the end of the day, are these a good thing? Is it better to do it this way than to have the legislature, essentially, the party in power basically draw the line?
2: Yeah, so um, there's a number of different ways that you can look at at what is a quote-unquote best way of doing redistricting. Um, I look at it from the public interest and the public interest in having fair redistricting that isn't tainted by some backroom deal of You know, some legislator wants a district, so he's going to vote for the budget, and you're going to get this line drawn, and whatever. Um, And from that perspective, having uh, a nonpartisan commission that is not accountable by the legislature or the governor, but is, you know, trying to do the lines properly, that doesn't take into consideration partisanship or where incumbents live, I think that's the right version of redistricting. I think it's something that should be adopted by local governments. It should be adopted... uh, Uh, nationally in a lot of other states. There's a a perversion of that kind of a system that some entities around the state have where they have a commission, but the commission is appointed by the city council or appointed by some other entity, and uh, it's more for show. That's kind of the worst system Mm -hmm. because then what you have is um, a board passing lines uh, under this veil of nonpartisanship or veil of like good government but in reality what's happening is that the city council behind the scenes is is driving the process um, or whatever the governmental agency is driving the process I think that's the worst I'd rather have a system kind of in the middle where you know if a city council is going to run their own redistricting have them run it have them be accountable for it if the redistricting plan you know harms people then they can those people can get voted out of office um, but this system I do think is uh, I think most people who deal with redistricting think that it's the best kind of
0: system. How and, and many uh, other states have this sort of a redistricting? There
2: are a few that have this kind of a redistricting system, but it's the vast minority. Yeah, it's just a handful, like and Arizona they're even different in uh, yeah. Washington. You know, there's uh, other states that have this kind of then There's local governments that have this, but you know, uh, it definitely has not been adopted around the country. Now, when I say this is a good version of redistricting because it meets these criteria that I think are good, the other kind of criteria that people look to is, are you drawing districts that um, are balanced in terms of partisanship, that don't uh, create kind of this situation where incumbents are always going to win re-election? In that measure, this redistricting commission did not achieve um, what some might have wanted. It it created this one-time real shakeup with a massive amount of turnover in 2012, but um, but not this kind of like permanence of every district is a swing district. Yeah. So I think that's... That, that was it. an issue before we had a redistricting commission that
1: redrawing the lines was basically incumbency protection. Yeah. And and that sort of hardened the partisanship. I mean, you, you got these sharply divided, that just seemed to feed on
2: itself and... Well, it's interesting, you know, there's the two ends of the spectrum would be, you know, incumbent protection, and the other end of the spectrum would be one party trying to seek maximum potential gain. And, uh, you know, the last redistricting in 2010 was definitely incumbent protection. Had we gone for, like, maximum partisan gain, we might have had eight competitive seats instead of just Mm -hmm. a few. Um, But then the other stuff that we're looking at for the next redistricting is obviously we're going to have new census data and you're going to have this changing of the state population both in total numbers and also where these voters exist or where these residents exist yeah. mm-hmm. geographically and then also the ethnic composition and in that mm. we see a lot of really interesting things the, the preliminary data that I have posted up in some uh, Tableau workbooks that people can actually play with and look at um, show you know in Northern California a lot of these Northern California districts are all kind of shrinking. It might be a magnitude of a few thousand here, a few thousand there voters. But that means that if the Northern California districts as a whole, let's say five districts shrink by 20,000, that means, you know, Roseville is going to be in a district with, you know, s- with uh, Calusa mm-hmm. County. Are they, are they shrinking because people are going to
1: places elsewhere in California?
2: Or, are or the rest of the state state's or? growing faster. So it's about relative speed of
0: okay. how fast something grows or shrinks. Um, Is there any preliminary data? I mean, we obviously haven't done the census yet, but is there preliminary data about what districts may be really significantly changing?
2: Yeah, so that's what we posted is um, uh, within a congressional district map, uh, which districts are are growing and which districts are shrinking. The ones that are shrinking in their population have to expand to, again, reach the right number of voters. The ones that are overpopulated get to contract. And uh, so, in that data set, so you can we can look at sets of districts that are growing and sets of districts that are shrinking. If two adjacent districts are one's growing by seven thousand, one's shrinking by seven thousand, then it's pretty easy just to move seven thousand people. But if a set of five districts are all shrinking by seven thousand, then you know one takes seven thousand from the next, and now it's under fourteen thousand. It takes fourteen thousand from the next. The next one's under twenty-one thousand, and you do this over and over a few times. Like in the L.A. area, you might find. Um, you know, half of a congressional district getting gobbled up. The- what, are the,
1: what are the ground rules for uh, drawing, a, drawing a map? I mean, does, do districts have to be contiguous? Do you
2: have to have a certain
1: amount of uh, ethnic balance? Uh, yeah, so balance? I mean, are there-
2: congressional districts are actually most fun to analyze because, uh, first off, they make them all exactly the same size. Redistricting allows for a certain deviation You know, maybe one district will be 2% larger than the other, that kind of thing. But in congressional districting, uh, because of some Supreme Court cases, basically every congressional district is down to the single person equal size. Um, Um, Then they have to be contiguous, meaning that their whole parts, except for situations like Catalina Island has to be somewhere, and it's not contiguous with anything, but it is functionally contiguous with like Long Beach because you can take a ferry from Catalina Island to Long Beach so they'll put is Catalina, Catalina Island the same district to Long Beach yeah there's um, a story there somewhere I yeah know but, but it is it's essentially the ferry line goes there. If the ferry from from Catalina went to Newport Beach, then it would be contiguous. It would probably be in the Congressional District cool. of Newport Beach. So the, the map, when you look at the lines of the map, it goes on Long Beach and goes all the way out to 26 miles across the sea and comes <laughs> yeah, back. Sure, yeah. okay, all right. um, and Only the Channel Islands are in a district with Ventura County, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they have to be contiguous. They have to be as compact as mm-hmm. possible, meaning not a lot of big, squiggly, crazy lines and more like squares and circles. We see some strong variations from that, like the Ted Lieu congressional seat. It's kind of wacky. It's got this, uh, you know, Torrance-Palo Verde portion, then it's got the Santa Monica portion, and it's connected by this string of Dockweiler Beach that's about, you know, 20 yards wide near LAX, um, with LAX going into a different... It's got weird... There are some weird-shaped districts, but, um, you know, they're equal size, compact, quote-unquote, contiguous... And then in terms of ethnicity and all communities of interest, congressional districts are supposed to be drawn to try to preserve communities of interest. So if you have an area where there's a lot of people who are in a certain workforce, dairy farmers or aerospace engineers, or if you have districts, obviously, that are heavily Latino or Asian or African American, um, or if you have districts that have rural areas versus urban areas, you don't want to create congressional districts where you're pitting permanently the most urban part of an area of a region against the most rural part of a region like it's some kind of a battle. Instead, what you want to do is create districts where an urban area can elect a representative and a rural area can elect a representative. They're not always at each other's throats. Um, That's got to get pretty tricky. If you take areas like
1: uh, Los Angeles, uh, where you've got densely populated millions of people, all of your districts are are basically urban. Yeah, Uh, There's no shot at having any
0: rural, any...
2: Yeah, but then really what you later. end up having is, like, wh- how do you deal with, when you're, s- when you're trying to meet that, you know, population requirement, yeah. and you have a district that goes, you know, it starts in Tahunga and it goes out to Sunland, and then it goes out towards, you know, Palmdale, Lancaster, you're trying to bridge, you know, these people uh, into districts that make the most sense. Like, mm-hmm. at some point, some urban area is going to have to be in a district with a more rural area simply in order to meet population equality. Yeah. Um, Some other big things that are going to be driving this redistricting, Um, one is when we talk about the ethnic populations, these communities of interest, Uh, in the Congressional plan there has historically been four African-American seats. The Congressional seat, the Barbara Lee seat in Oakland, and then three in L.A. Uh, It looks as though because of the population changes and because of the ethnic changes uh, it's going to be reduced to three. The district that is currently drawn for an African American but was won by Nanette Berrigan in uh, 2016, that Nanette Berrigan seat will probably no longer be drawn to try to advantage an African American. And instead, the African American population would be put more uh, densely into the Maxine Waters and Karen Bass Mm. congressional seats. Uh, that's a decision that the last three commission did not want to make. Another one is that we'll probably create, um, and, and a congressional seat that is, or two that are Asian American majority minority, which would be the first time. Right now we have an assembly seat, the 49th, that's an Asian American majority minority. And it's the only one in the country, or at least in the continental so, US. So I think so in Orange Hawaii. County? No, in Hawaii. It's in, it's, uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, uh. So it's the only one out in the continental U.S. a majority-minority legislative district, and we'll probably have two majority-minority or something close to majority-minority Asian congressional districts in the next redistricting. We'll also add the number of Latino majority-minority districts. So that's going to be a, uh, something that drives the redistricting, and in that data set that I put up, you can actually kind of start looking at those and playing with those. Um, and then there's two other huge issues One is we got rid of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Now, people might remember this a few years ago. There was a Supreme Court case that said the Section 5 requirements that certain states get preclearance for voting changes uh, wasn't constitutional because of Section 4 of how that was written. It was just basically like the Supreme Court didn't like the way the rules were written, so they threw out Section 5. What that means is the old redistricting plan, the commission passed it, and had to cross their fingers, send it to the federal government for the federal government to authorize it, to give it preclearance. Had the federal government not given pre-clearance to the redistricting plan in uh, Mm 2011, those lines would have been thrown out and a court would have drawn our state lines. The work of the redistricting commission would all just be wiped off. Now, because the last redistricting commission knew this, they took great pains to draw certain districts, particularly in the Central Valley, Central Coast, with these exacting ethnic populations because their lawyers were telling them if they didn't draw these plans, A, B, and C, the certain way, then uh, they could have all their work thrown away. Wait, is that the Federal
1: Elections Commission?
2: Yeah, it's not or federal. It it's, 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 it's the Federal Voting Rights Act. And it would be <clears> the, <throat> the Federal Department of Justice. Uh, so we have this redistricting plan right now where the, essentially the reduction Commission was on pins and needles, yeah. drawing about five congressional districts that touched certain counties in the Central Coast and Central Valley. And as a result, they drew the Central Valley and Central Coast districts first. And imagine you're laying out, like, uh, you're doing that game of knocking over dominoes. Where you start matters. Where you start laying out that map of dominoes really matters. And... So the redistricting commission was kind of handcuffed into drawing their map in a certain way. This next redistricting commission is not. The next redistricting commission doesn't have to send their plans to the federal government for um, for approval, and therefore can decide to draw their map however they want without those same constraints. They will have other constraints about the Voting Rights Act creating majority and creating majority-minority districts, but they won't be locked in to starting their map in the middle, they could start their map in San Diego or they could start their map in, you know, in Northern California, Siskiyou. And then the final kind of wild card is we don't know how many congressional seats we're going to have. We're going to change? I think we'll change. We don't know. We currently are 53. When we got 53 congressional seats in 2011, we were the next in line to get the next congressional seat. If there had been one more congressional seat to reapportion out, we would have gotten the next one. We were, we were the next. We've had fifty three forever. It seems like I don't know when we changed fifty three, but yeah, it's been you know the time time I've been doing it's been fifty three. We could stay at fifty three. We could grow to fifty four, or we could drop to fifty two. And there's this right now. The U.S. Census Department director recently resigned. Uh, there's a whole hubbub about how much money's being put into the U.S. Census. There's this whole national thing and, and the fight at the federal government with how they're going to do the census, if they're going to be using uh, statistical methods to uh, incorporate with interviews, if it's going to be in person interviews or over the computer online interviews. Um, all these different questions, and all these different questions have a direct impact on how many people in California are going to be voted. How many of these low income, largely, you know, Latino apartment, you know, uh, people live in apartments, people live in more, especially non-citizens, how well we're going to be able to count these people. If we do a great job at counting Californians and we grow relative to the nation uh, faster
0: than the nation, then we will most likely get a 54th congressional seat. And just to clarify, non-citizens are counted for the portions of representation, that yeah. they do not get to vote. No, they don't get to vote, but they are counted just like kids. Kids, non-citizens,
2: felons, they are counted in terms of yeah. the state's overall sure. population, and they're counted for the representation that members of Congress provide. Yeah. They aren't counted for the purposes of voting. But um, the flip side of that census coin, though, is let's say we have a, a census uh, in 2020 that undercounts young Latino kids like it did last time. Mm-hmm. Let's say we have a census that doesn't utilize any kind of statistical sampling and so doesn't make up for the fact these communities like in Santa Ana, Eagle Rock, East LA have traditionally been grossly undercounted. If we're not doing anything to account for that stuff, then California is probably not going to grow faster than the rest of the country and as a result mm-hmm. drop and only get 52 congressional seats. If we get 52 congressional seats, our analysis right now is that that seat probably comes out of LA. This was a huge debate during the Clinton
1: administration, the first Clinton administration. It's been a perennial debate, how they deal with the undercount.
2: And uh, using statistical methods to help get a better raw count number for the decennial census has been something that's been on the agenda for a while. It seemed as though it was something that was going to start to take hold in this next 2020 census. However, it's possible that the current administration doesn't have the same data interest as you know, maybe the Obama administration yeah. had, and that could be signaled by the fact that the census director resigned. We actually work with, some, some of our clients are working with the census department on developing these statistical methods, and uh, I don't think there's a lot of confidence that they're going to actually be able to do them in 2020. And the reality is that what happens in the census could cost us a congressional district. Wow. If we
1: lost a congressional district here, who would,
2: uh, who would get an extra one? What state would get an extra one? I'm, not sure. I'm it's, not sure. It's not a question of being near us or... I mean, it's no, it's not. It's You know, it has to, to do with how group, fast they grow. And yeah. if we lost a congressional yeah. district, then it probably wouldn't be Texas or New Mexico or yeah. Arizona because they'd probably be suffering from the same kind of, uh, of a loss. It might yeah. be someplace like New York gaining the extra seat.
1: It wouldn't necessarily be a Democratic seat that another state gets. There's no...
2: Uh, I think it'd probably be more likely to be a democratic state uh, that would get the additional congressional seat simply because of the rates of population growth right. in democratic areas. But what you'd be you'd be advantaging a place that is growing in population among uh, you know non Latino populations. If there's if the issue is undercount of non Latinos, yeah. undercount right. of immigrants, then you wouldn't expect. Uh, that additional growth to come from a place that has, you know, hardy, okay. strong populations like any of the southern border states or Florida.
1: So my two quick takeaways, one, we may lose an African-American seat. Oh, yeah. And two, there may or may not be a loss for congressional district in
2: L.A. Yeah, and it's... when Would I anybody say anybody cry
1: about that if L.A. lost a congressional... I
2: don't know. Well, whichever congressional member in L.A. doesn't have a congressional <laughs> okay. seat to go home to anymore. <laughs> um, and when I say L.A. loses a congressional seat, it's mostly like L.A. loses about... Maybe three-quarters of a congressional seat gets pushed out of L.A., Uh and maybe a quarter of a congressional seat in the East Bay. Um, And so, essentially, if we have to make up, if we have to take a state with 53 congressional districts and take one out, the rest all kind of expand in order to gobble up that territory. And as they do, um, those that are currently underpopulation are... Already having a problem, they would expand a little bit more. Now, so, correct me if I'm
0: yeah. wrong, but isn't every congressional district in LA, it, or each congressional district in LA, they're larger than the population of some states?
2: Well, every congressional district in the state is the same population.
0: Right. Yeah. But I think, but of other states, like I think probably the congressional district in LA is probably bigger than the entire population. Well, every of Montana. Well, I don't know the so
2: 702,000 in every congressional district in California. But nationally, they're all about the same size. So the only states that would be smaller would be like a single congressional district state. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but the congressional districts in California are roughly the same as a congressional district in Nevada or Arizona. Okay. It's just that we have more of them. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, But it's going to be real interesting to see. And the the other thing is that we're talking about congressional districts because it was easy for us to put up a map, and it's, you know, something that everybody can use to kind of digest it. Same thing's true for these assembly and senate districts. The same areas that are facing shrinkage or overpopulation in the congressional districts, that filters right down to the state senate and and assembly districts as well. And um, the the, uh, growth in Latino districts would be seen in the assembly as well. The growth in uh, Asian American districts could be seen. The assembly You'd definitely pick is up. Is there any assembly. variation in north or south? Is that basically
1: Southern California, LA County?
2: Well, is, in in Northern California, you're mostly talking about uh, Asian americans So, okay. like in San Jose, uh, they weren't able to make Asian American majority minority anything. Yeah, last time they did use Asian populations as a way to draw certain district lines, respecting communities of interest and the Vietnamese population in San Jose, and then, you know, uh, Chinese and other populations in the rest of the East Bay. And so those were utilized in terms of trying to create districts recognizing those communities of interest, but they weren't reaching that 50% of one ethnicity threshold, which conceivably they could in 2020, um, which could have a real big impact on how those lines look. Okay. Well, we'll all be tested on this later. Paul Mitchell, thank you very much. Thank
1: you very much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. I'm John Howard. We'll see you next time around. Take care.